I, I definitely feel that isolation. Talent is equally distributed, but opportunity is not. She told me that I should change my career goal. We're only doing science to take care of our community. You need to feel 100% prepared for sharing your knowledge. Um, there's never been a road that someone has shown me. If no one do it, it's okay if you want to do it. Well, I had a 2.5 GPA. How do I overcome this? First gen come grade, I was the class low. Higher education is for them. It will empower them. They will have a Present fun time. Present myself in a way that I feel that people would be able to really acknowledge who I am and like we need to retain them be you you know like stop trying to mold yourself to so fit. it's not just about the science it's about how we vote you know how we treat people who are different to us you know how we try and get the best out of people those things are really important when I graduate from our program I will be the first African-American male to ever have matched and graduated as a surgeon at this institution as a general surgeon which in 2021 just seems ridiculous to me. What's up, y'all? It's your host, JP Flores, and welcome to From Where Does It Stem? Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Ho, oh, H to the O-V. I used to move snowflakes by the up. I guess even back then you can call me CEO of the ROC. Wow, if you want to run for president or something like. <laughs> uh, right, right. I'd have the yeah. <laughs> um, But yeah, go ahead. All right. So my name is Elias Smith. My current position is I'm an associate program director at the National Science Foundation. Um, more specifically, I'm in the engineering directorate in the Office of um, Emerging Frontiers and Multidisciplinary Activities. Um, a fun fact, um, let's see, uh, a fun fact, I've played the flute since I was in fourth grade and continue <laughs> to play the flute since I was in fourth grade. Um, I had to, and I played with my two young boys who played a viola, and so I played with them during practice and recently had to take my instrument into the shop to get fixed, cool. and the people who were helping me at the music shop told me that my flute is older than both of them <laughs> <laughs> and so reminded me of my age and how long I've been playing a woodwind instrument so it was it was just kind of funny to to, to know that my yeah but anyway so that's a fun fact for me <laughs> what's your favorite song to play on the flute <laughs> oh there's a jazz song that I don't know if it's an like written by an authentic jazz artist or was composed by my band director way back in the day. It was called I Want to Go Home. And it's, it's very straightforward, but it's a very, very soulful song <laughs> that kind of repeats and lends itself to some improvisation. So awesome. it's, it's, it's a fun one to play. Awesome. Cool. And then uh, where'd you go for your undergrad and um, higher education or after that? Yeah, so I went to University of Missouri, uh, Columbia, so Mizzou Tigers. I was a uh, biochemistry major and a food science minor. Um, originally started at, at Mizzou as a pre-med student, but rapidly figured out that that track was not for me um, and eventually figured out that research was going to be a real passion of mine. And so I was accepted to University of California in Los Angeles, so UCLA. Uh, for graduate schools where I completed my PhD um, in a department that has an insanely long name. So it's microbiology, immunology, and molecular genetics, or MIMG, 
Yeah. And, and so <laughs> it's a it's a good program. You get to become a jack of all trades. You get training in several several fields, um, classical training. And the lab that I was in um, had, a, had a very old school boss. So did not believe in providing or buying a lot of kits to make things easier. <laughs> if you could build it in-house, then you did because it saved money. But it also, the thing that you don't, I didn't appreciate at the time, it taught me how things worked. Right. Because if you build it, you know how it works. Yeah, very so, DIY. DIY. And you get kind of frustrated when you can, you know, well, hey, we have the money. Can we just buy the kit? It will cut the time in half, but no, but it helps because yeah. later on I went to a postdoc at UC San Diego and the lab was one where it did not have so much money. And so we needed to build things. And so I was able to come and actually tell them to stop buying certain kits because I could build them for them um, for half the price. And so it comes in handy. Um, and then from my postdoc at UC San Diego, um, I went to Northern Virginia Community College where I became um, professor there. So I started as assistant professor, was promoted to associate professor. But again, as any higher education institution, you, you have to be budget-minded. And so I was able to take our biology labs, our biotechnology labs, our cell biology labs, and rework a lot of the protocols and experiments so that they were doing the same thing in a less expensive fashion. Yeah. So again, my grad school training has come in handy many, 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 many times. And then from NOVA, so Northern Virginia Community College, is when I decided to do a science technology policy fellowship. And that took me to the National Science Foundation. So they hosted me for my fellowship. And I found my associate program director position um, subsequent to my fellowship. So total with fellowship and um, my associate program director position, I've been at the National Science Foundation for about three and a half years now. It's so weird how life just kind of gives you steps that just lead to where you are now. Who would have thought you'd be in this position now, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's if, like I said, when I went to Mizzou, it was, I, I was going to be a pediatrician. That yeah. was, that was it. My, my path was made and then I decided, nope, that's not what I want to do. And then I fell in love with teaching. And so eventually it led me to teaching at, at, at Nova and at Northern Virginia Community College. And that's not what I'm doing now. And yeah. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> exactly. But but I've loved every step of the way and have learned a lot every step of the way. That's awesome. Yeah, let's get into it. Yes. What were your upbringings like, and how has this shaped you into the person you are today? My upbringing. So I grew up in Chicago, on the west side of Chicago, um, and my family has moved steadily west and south out of the city, um, and the driver of that was education. When I got to, so my elementary school was a great elementary school. I loved it, learned a lot. The high school options um, were not necessarily the best where we were. I had the choice of going to a private school. And I, well, I really didn't have a choice. My parents told me that you're going to private school. <laughs> uh, I got to choose among a couple of private schools to apply to. Uh, but the reason was that the public school was not going to be able to offer me the best education um, from my parents' point of view. Um, Knowing that, it was a shift to go from an elementary school that was predominantly um, African-American. Um, having somebody who wasn't African-American as one of my peers, one of my fellow students was a rarity. And then to go to high school where it was completely flipped. That was my first kind of real culture shock 
um, at age 13, 14 um, to be thrown into it. And, and I was prepared or warned as best as you can prepare warn a, a teenager um, <laughs> to go into a new environment. Yeah. Um, but it was still a shock. And my parents realized that they can, instead of paying for private school, they can use that money um, and buy a house. Yeah. Um, and, and for the suburb where the public school systems are a little bit better. And so that was what's happened again. And it's the same thing. So it's predominantly um, white public school. Um, there were only a handful of people who were not white in the school. At, by this time, I'm three, three years a veteran or two years a veteran um, <laughs> going into this now. So it was fine for me. Um, but growing up, one of the things that I had in-house was always um, things to engineer, to take apart, to put together. My dad um, worked with the computer systems for the Chicago Transit Authority. And there was always one or two computer towers um, in various forms of disarray are being built or taken apart or upgraded. And so he taught me how to build computers and to, to think about things in engineering fashion. And I always knew I was going to go science or something. And my dad had his way. I would have been an engineer or a physicist. <laughs> but the, uh, the life science and chemistry caught my eye um, throughout high school. Um, but yeah, that's about pretty much upbringing, what guided me to um, go to college for STEM, for science. Um, I went to Mizzou thinking chemistry or biology because that'll get me to medicine. Yeah. What were you telling your younger self going to an elementary school where uh, it was a majority people of color to moving to a suburb and going to this private school with predominantly white uh, people? What were you telling yourself? And would you go back and tell yourself something different? Would you say the same to, the, uh, to a young person that is in that position now? I would tell myself that I would need to be even more outspoken than I normally am. Um, so for example, the private high school that I went to was taught at a very high level. Um, so much so that just anecdotally, our regular classes were on par with honors classes at public schools. And so my first two years of high school at the private high school did not take um, honors classes. When I transferred over to the public school, I asked the guidance counselor to place me in the honors classes. And she did not want to do that because I didn't have honors in my background my first two years of high school. And to learn very quickly, too, that you look at the students in the honors classes and you can see the demographics uh, very clearly. That did cross my mind. But at that point, I wasn't outspoken enough or to call it out. Um, but what I did do was work my butt off and aced my classes in that first semester. And I went back to the counselor and said, now you need to move me to the honors classes. You see what I can do. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like that was my first real experience where I had to work harder to show what another student might not have needed to work as hard to show to get placed where I needed to be. That was a lesson that I learned, I guess, my junior year of, of high school and have take, taken with me forward. Um, sometimes you do have to work that little extra to be seen and to not be overlooked. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I, I've been having a lot of conversations like this and the concept of betting on yourself is a common theme. But another thing that I've noticed is there's a lot of, not need for support, but a lot of appreciation for support. So what were your support systems like growing up? What were your communities like, your, your AKA tribes? 
Right. I've always had um, my mother with me and she was always in the corner. So, so much more than a cheerleader, but always there to support and anything that I needed, she would be right there um, with me. Through elementary school, I had several teachers who would um, pull me aside and say, at times, you know, hey, you can do better and I'm going to give you the opportunity to do better and to excel. It wasn't just you can do better and you can get that A. You have the A, but I know you can do more. Right. And I've had that in math. So I had Mr. Rudy in, um, in fourth <laughs> grade and he was one of those teachers. I had Miss Cannon in sixth grade and she was another one of those teachers in math. Um, I've had my band director, um, who was a big influence on me, like I said, from fourth grade onwards, um, who would always push. And that was the biggest thing I think that I could have had early on was those teachers just telling me you have something in you that if you want to push it, you can be excellent and to give me the opportunities. I was lucky enough to have that early on. Um, but then going forward, um, you have to find those mentors. That was the best advice that I've gotten when I got to college, when I went to college was to find somebody who will not only be your mentor, who will be your advocate, especially if you go to a, a larger state school like I did. Um, it's easy to get lost. It is really, really easy to, to get lost. And it's fine to have somebody who will say, hell, you should take classes A, B, C, D in this order, and then you'll be fine. But it's another to say, yeah, take classes A, B, C, D, but you also need to look into this club. You need to look into this organization, you need to take this leadership role. I'm going to say, I'm going to be your advocate to and recommend you for um, an, an advanced course or to be placed in this research lab. Uh, those type of opportunities are great. And uh, most of the time you have to go seek them out. You have to speak up, you have to go um, talk to the professors. So for example, my biochemistry professor, I walked up to her and I said, I, I love what you're doing. She did a, just did a, a unit on her work. And I said, I would love to come and work in your lab. Is that possible? And a lot of students won't do that. Oh yeah, right. The initiative so, isn't there. <laughs> right. And to have that initiative, that was the best advice I was given was to go find your mentors, go find your advocates. And Dr. Wall was great in her support, her mentoring. Um, I wish... I could have done my PhD in her lab, but growing up in the city, I wanted to get back to a city. Um, yeah. University of Missouri is in the middle of Missouri where it is a college <laughs> town. It's a great town, but it's not this, like the happening size of a city that I was used to and wanted to go to, right. which is why I went to UCLA. So I went to Los Angeles. And the beach, of course. And the beach. <laughs> yeah, that that might have played a small role, small factor. <laughs> How does it feel to be a mentor now and really inspiring and empowering others? I do want to acknowledge that mentorship can come in a lot of different forms. Right? I'm a baseball coach for nine-year-olds, 12-year-olds, and I can tell that they, their eyes light up when I show them a drill and I try to normalize failure for them. But for you, how, how does that feel? It's great to see somebody start to realize their own potential. I get to be a mentor and an advocate in so many aspects of my life. First, I have two young boys. Um, both in middle school right now. And I get to go through, I don't want to say, see the world through their eyes and try to help them realize all the different things that they can do and that they can experience. Um, I try to show them how to pick themselves up and dust themselves off. Um, when they try something new, um, I can 
it's great to be able to expand their music, to expand their sports, to expand um, their education. It's great to do that and to see them grow um, and, to, and to take it and run with it in their own way. Um, I've had the opportunity to be a mentor in an official capacity. So I was program head for the biotechnology program at, at the community college, at Northern Virginia Community College. Mm-hmm. And every student that came through the program were my mentees. It was one-on-one. They got one-on-one time with me pretty much any time that they wanted it and needed it. And it was for everything from how do I balance my life with this work, um, be it because of kids or because of jobs, um, because of competing classes. Um, we got to work on life, got to talk about careers. And in the process of just chatting, um, a lot of informal chats, um, just trying to figure out what do they want to do and kind of dropping little hints that there's this path, there's this other path, here's a third path. Why don't you think about them? But and like you said, to see their eyes light up and go, wait a minute, I can, I'll give you an example. I had a guy who was in the biotechnology program his art skills were off the chart so much so that he asked me during one exam, instead of writing this out, can I draw this for you? He would draw illustrations for all of, so I didn't give multiple choice questions in any of my exams. It was all all short answer. And he would do illustrations that were so much more informative than a lot of the students' paragraphs. Yeah. And so I told him, it's like, as I told him, you know, there is graphic design and STEM. Who do you think is creating these figures in the textbooks and online and these animations? They're artists who understand the science. And his, his eyes just lit up. I was like, wait a minute, I can do this? I'm like, yes, 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 yes. This is something that you should be seriously considering. It is a great feeling to be able to point somebody in the, in the direction that might be great for them. And it's also fun to see when I tell them, I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. And just, just look at them, kind of cock their head to the side and kind of go, but, but wait, you're Dr. Smith. You're my professor. I'm like, yeah, this is where I am now. Yeah. But is it going to be where I'm going to be later? And that concept that you don't have to be one thing. Like you can have a career and then decide that you outgrown it or that you just want to pivot. That concept is great to give to a person and say, and that's, there's nothing wrong with it. And it's not a failure. It's a, you made a choice. And if you have the opportunity, then explore. So how does it feel to be at this point in your career in STEM? Is this the end all be all? No, right? Like I'm assuming that there's a lot more down the road. (laughs) So I have a couple of directions that I'm actively thinking about exploring. So right now I'm an associate program director. And Mm -hmm. if I were to stay at the National Science Foundation, the next step up is program director. And that can be in a front office position where I am now, or it can be in a specific science director where my primary duties are, you know, interfacing with the community and figuring out what science needs to be supported. The next step from there could be senior management. That's one track and it is appealing to me. I also think about, well, I can be here for five, 10 more years. I still love teaching. I still pick up a class or two every once in a while and and to adjunct, I can go back into academia. I can go back to teach. I do think about multiple directions to go in. Um, The only thing that I definitely have ruled out is I don't think I'm too interested in going into industry. Okay. (laughs) But no, I would say that I'm very happy where I am now, 
and I don't see myself changing my particular job for about three to five years. But after that, I would definitely see, you know, what opportunities are out there, what forces are pulling me either back to the classroom or to a nonprofit or to, (laughs) to another agency. And so it's, it's kind of open and I like to keep teaching myself, keep training, keep finding mentors um, to open doors, to open my eyes to possibilities. So it never stops. The learning never stops. And even though, like you said, I serve as mentor informally and formally, I have lots of people in my life that serve as mentors um, formally or informally doing the same role that I serve others. Yeah, great. Before I change gears here, I I was wondering if I could get your insight on that um, government position versus academia position. I guess the two differences there. Yeah, no problem. Academia, um, to make the major distinction, you have a lot more freedom in academia. I taught general biology and there's a curriculum to general biology, but how I cover all those topics in my class, completely up to me. Mm -hmm. Um, The biotechnology program, I I was the program head. If I wanted to alter the program, I can start the process to alter the program, to evolve the program, um, the set policies, Um, it was your deans, as long as you are meeting metrics and everything, your deans and your provosts really leave it up to your academic freedom. And that's kind of the ethos in that area. You go to a federal position and it's more rigid. There are, are boxes in which you need to stay within. There are lanes, depending on what agency you're at, you might have more or less wiggle room. And so National Science Foundation I think it's the most towards academic mm-hmm. than any other um, federal agency. So I do enjoy some freedoms to create a program, but they are strictly governed by rules. There's accountability, there's transparency. There's a lot that has to be there that it's not just my program. Anything, anything that I do or I put out goes through about five or six layers above me before anybody outside the agency sees it. <laughs> right. thing. Um, that would be the, um, the biggest difference is the freedom. I guess the second biggest difference would be your reach. And yeah. so at Nova, I'm serving a region. I'm serving Northern Virginia. As, on, as a federal employee, my community is the nation. It's a bigger stage. Very cool. Yeah, so I mean, the cat's out of the bag, right? Do you have felt um, this feeling of kind of isolation in STEM? Um, as a student of colors, how can we better shape the education system to provide full inclusion? Uh, do you have any advice for those that feel like they don't belong in STEM and share your similar identities? It's two big questions. I'm a firm believer and you have to start early. Um, mm. And I say that not to write off everybody who is in the middle of their educational career, mm. but you really have to start early at kindergarten, at first grade, at second grade with basics, with literacy, with curiosity, with thinking, with um, exposure, like exposure to the world and concepts and what's happening outside of your town or your city or your state is huge. That is huge. And it's beneficial to students as they're growing and learning what they want to do. Um, Math is a gateway to STEM. Um, And I would say that people need not to be afraid of math. I always use my story. Um, I hit my math glass ceiling in, in college when I hit calculus. And I would not have survived calculus without a tutor. And I almost didn't get a tutor because of my pride. Yeah, <laughs> that I'm the same I way. Said, I was the same way. 
<laughs> yeah. And so it was like, I should be able to do this on my own. I've been told that I am intelligent, that I am smart, that I can figure things out. And I had to get over that. It was okay to ask for help. It was available. It was freely available. So there was no barrier whatsoever <laughs> for me to go yeah. get this help other than my own pride. I would say that it's okay to go get help. But the larger picture is that I don't think anybody would dispute it, but our education system could be a lot more inclusive in quality. Mm-hmm. And there are schools around the nation and in every state where the quality of education is significantly lower than a school in a neighboring town or a neighboring state. And it really shouldn't be. Yeah, It really shouldn't be. Once you do that, you, you bring up the standards, you give the resources to places to increase those standards. I think you would start seeing it. And that's the problem with this is that it won't be immediate. You won't see immediate returns. Yeah. And society needs to be okay with that, that you're not going to see immediate returns on that. But you'll see it in the next generation. Right. You'll see them a lot more able. Um, you will see the disparities decrease. You will see the diversity inclusiveness increase. You need to do that. Um, but until then, you'll find there are a lot of people who will find themselves in situations like I did, where in my cohort at UCLA for grad school, I was one of two African-American um, students. There were 62 of us. There were two African-American students, and I think there were three or four um, trying to run through my list now (laughs) I think there were three or four um, Hispanic students out of 62 and you're going to find yourself in that situation um, quite a bit Um, when I went to University of Missouri um, for example so an undergrad so jumping backwards um, the African-American community on campus was not well represented population wise you find yourself falling into two communities and this is the way I went about it you had your community that was kind of school focused. And I guess I had three kind of communities. Let me put it that way. I had the people who were in my dorm. And so that was my house. I had a lot of friends in there, Mm -hmm. but then I also found the black community on campus and that served a different type of emotional support and society support. I also had my biochemist, my chemist um, people because those are who I was studying with. They formed my study group. Um, and two out of the three of those groups that I found myself in, I was the either one or two representative of color, people of color in those groups. That can be tough. Not everybody realizes um, that little extra level of anxiety that that can provide. So everybody feels, you know, okay, we're taking a, a, a physical chemistry exam. Everybody's anxious. Um, but they walk into the student union for the study group and they see everybody who looks like them. I walk in and that's not the case. Right. Um, but that wasn't my entire life. And I think that would be the, the thing that I, I would say is that that doesn't have to be your life as you go into undergraduate or graduate school your life is so much more than the classroom, than the study groups, than the lab that you're working in. You can find community outside of STEM. And oftentimes that's what you need to do to balance your life. If I were to go back in time, I would tell myself to do more balancing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was definitely needed for me. But that's what I tell my students now is that this is not 
everything that you are in this classroom or in this lab or in this institution. I never thought about it that way. That's cool. (laughs) Okay. So let's say you are the president of an institution or you are the boss of bosses at the NSF or something. What would you do to uh, diversify and implement full inclusion initiatives? So more, so rather than concept, more of actual tangible steps, whether it be outreach, whether it be recruiting, things like that. Reallocation of funds. (laughs) That's a big thing. So not to get too deep in the weeds for NSF, but every proposal that comes in to NSF has two major sections. There's the intellectual merit that talks about the research that we're going to do. Mm -hmm. But then there's also the broader impact. And that's how is this research going to impact the community, society? A lot of people will write their broader impacts in our science is going to lead to X, Y, and Z's discovery and betterment for society. I would put more emphasis, I would instruct the program directors around the agency, for example, to put more emphasis on reaching out to your region, to your society. Um, Let's say you are University of Missouri and you pulled in a major research grant. I would say that for your broader impacts, however you're going to do it, you need to affect your region or your state or something. You need to increase science literacy and involvement and inclusion somehow. That has to be part of your broader impacts activities. I would put more of a emphasis on that and and what awards are made. Um, Because I think it's more than getting more um, minority students or increasing representation of people in STEM. It is entire communities. And so everybody's mom, dad, uncle, aunt, grandmother, that level of science literacy needs to be enhanced because those moms, dads, aunts, and uncles, they're informal mentors to that person in second, third, and fourth grade who are coming up and considering what career that they want to have or what direction they want to go. Again, it's a long-term view, but if I'm giving all the power, I'm going to take that long-term view because that's how I think is that um, everything that you do doesn't necessarily have to have an immediate outcome tomorrow or next week or next year measured because a lot of things, a lot of issues that we have in the world aren't going to be fixed in one year or two years or five years. They're generational. A lot of the problems that we have didn't form overnight. They're generational. And so I would expect that a lot of solutions that we come up with are going to take time. You need to reshape thinking you need to shape culture and that takes time that takes generations and as a federal agency that has a way to influence how science is seen how science is spoken about you can kind of flex that muscle a little bit (laughs) and 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 shift it a little bit Um, I would also say there's a reason why you might not see representation across like whether it be women or people of color at different levels of just academia or federal agencies or anything. Um, I think it's recognizing the outside stresses that would stop them from taking these leadership roles or these higher roles. Um, I'll give you an example. 
um, for any committees or working groups or things like that, being in academia or task in, in forces, yeah. task forces, there's guidelines or policies for um, inclusion. Mm-hmm. And if you only have two or three people on staff who can help you satisfy those policies, then those people get tapped over and over and over again to be on those committees. And it's great experience. It's great to have that diversity of voices at the table, but the recognition that they are then taken away from their other things, from their teaching, from their research, from things that they would necessarily want to do to advance their career, that time is taken away by doing this service on the, on the task force and the committees. Um, I would say that we would need to, I don't have a direct solution to that, but one would be having more people of color, more women, more representation on staff so that you can spread that service load. Yeah. And that way more people should be able to have the time to figure out how they can be recognized and how they can, develop themselves professionally and move to leadership positions. Right. No, I love that. <laughs> so how are you during, doing, how are you doing during this pandemic? How's the mental health? How's the family right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, buddy. Um, it's, <laughs> it's a new challenge almost every week. It used to be daily, but I'm, I, we now got it down to about every week. Um, <laughs> progress is progress. <laughs> Progress, yeah. In this household, we are balancing um, two professionals. So I work at the National Science Foundation. My wife is a partner at a law, f- law firm. Very cool. Um, we have two middle school kids. So I think the most stressed thing in this house is our internet bandwidth. Oh, I bet. So, <laughs> <laughs> I bet. And so, <laughs> and so we fi- figured that out. We got boosters and extenders. And so everybody's figured out that part. But I was explaining to my youngest um, son earlier today, from a parent's point of view, we have our jobs, which brings in the money, pays the bills. We also have the running of the household. So that's everything little as, do we lock all, did we lock all the doors at night? Right. Do we have groceries in the refrigerator? The things just to maintain. And then we have to turn around and say, how are you doing in school? Did you see all of your virtual asynchronous or synchronous assignments are they all done how's the quality of them and then i get to turn back to my own task list and say what did i miss today and And it's like 8 p.m by then (laughs) right and then it's like oh wait i i have to eat dinner hold on (laughs) right right (laughs) and so getting that balance um from week to week you think you figure it out and then there's another twist you think you figure it out if there's another twist But I think there's the recognition that when kids went to school, it allowed parents to focus on, or at least from my perspective, it allowed me to focus on my work stuff. So when I left the office and I went home, my whole attention was on family. Yeah. I don't have that split. Those hard boundaries anymore are not there. And that's tough. But that's where it is. I do count myself lucky in that both of my boys are middle schoolers. So, and both of them are tech savvy. Right. Um, <laughs> Can be. So I don't. Have, be worse. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not trying to complain about it. We are doing the best that we can with it. Um, there's stress, but 
on the flip side of that, knowing that distress, we do try to have fun. So we make sure that we have at least one movie night. A yes. night where we order. We nobody's cooking. We order food. Uh, we pop the popcorn. <laughs> we pick a movie that we're going to all sit down and watch where it's like everybody is just stress free for yeah. these next two right. hours. We've been doing that. And that's helped. That was our two, three weeks ago. Our revelation is that we need to make a promise to ourselves that we are going to have fun. Right. Definitely. <laughs> what movies have you been watching? <laughs> oh, yeah. So my youngest guy loves to read. He had a birthday recently. So I got him about maybe five box sets. of He loves dystopian fiction, young adult dystopian ah, fiction. We love that. So he read the Maze Runner series. Perfect. Um, he's read... Divergent, um, maybe? Divergent series. He's read the Hunger Games series. Yep. And so, then I told him, it's like, yes. Oh, and uh, what is it? The uh, Dangerous Minds. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I found he's like, wait, dad, these are all movies. I'm like, yes, they are. He's like, we have to watch the movies. <laughs> and so the funny story from this last movie night is that he's learned the uh, the term artistic license, because as you know, the book is never like the movie. The movie's never like the book. Right. Depending on how you view it, the movie never does the book justice. Um, my favorite quote from our last movie night was, no, the director needs to have his artistic license revoked. <laughs> <laughs> From a middle schooler? That's awesome. Uh, yes, yeah. And this, is, and this is where I say, my guys are going to, I'm hoping that they're going to be nice and solid in life because they have exposure. Yeah, definitely. And so, and that exposure lets us have fun like that. It took me by surprise because I'm sitting there thinking, did my 11-year-old son... <laughs> Just tell me that the director needs to have his artistic license revoked because he does not know how to end the book like the movie. <laughs> or in the movie like the book ended. It's, it's, it's like, wow, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, that's awesome. <laughs> I already know he's destined for good things after that comment. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's, he so cracks funny. me up all the time with yeah. what he comes up with. He's, he's a deep thinker. So when he does say something, he's usually quiet. But when he does say something, it's, yeah, it cracks you up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely but yeah I mean I asked those questions because you know zoom's exhausting like you said there's no hard boundary so what right. have you been telling yourself to, to keep motivated like what are you telling your sons when there are days where they just can't get out of bed because now they have to attend another lecture online what is your motivation <laughs> right now <laughs> um well the good thing in life for us that motivates us is food I'm no longer in the lab my kitchen has become my lab and I'm always <laughs> working on new recipes, tweaking recipes. Um, and so I bring my guys in, they're my sous chefs now. They are being trained up on things in the kitchen and they're, they're enjoying it. I have them making a Moroccan chicken dish and they make the spice blend. They're measuring out maybe 12 to 15 different spices to put into this <laughs> spice blend. They're having a great time. And I tell them, it's like, okay guys, what are we gonna make today? Food motivates and so I always make sure that we, I have something in house that we can put together, usually together, but yeah. to say, we, hey, we just get to lunch and we have this creation that we have to go or yeah. today for breakfast, we're gonna get up a half hour early. Elijah, so that's my oldest son, it's like, you take care of the French toast today. You get the eggs, I'm gonna get the bacon. And that gets them up. Everybody's uh -huh. well fed and we can sit down and jump on Zoom. <laughs> That's family goals right there. <laughs> yeah. Honest family goals. I'm waiting for the invite. I, I, I'll wear a mask and... Wear a mask, cut fly on over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got the cereal. <laughs> you got all right then. Hey, 
I'm a Frosted Flakes man myself. So bring that <laughs> Perfect. Just let me know, man. I got you. <laughs> um, is there anything else that you want to say about anything at all? Um, I would say that something that has been a refrain in a lot of panels that I've been on um, lately trying to figure out how do we do things? How do we pivot? Do we plan to be online? Do we bet on that we're going to be in person for things maybe come summer? Um, <laughs> do we do, you know, what do we do? And you can look at it in a couple of ways. You can look at it very defeatist or you can look at it as every challenge, like what's the opportunity? Definitely. And so that's what I keep telling people. It's like, yeah, it's hard, yeah. but let's not get stuck on that. Life is always going to be hard in some way. This is just the latest thing. Um, what are the opportunities? What can you do? Right now, the agency, we're not doing in-person meetings. We have not been cleared to do any in-person meetings. Um, and so we're taking advantage of that fact. And we're going to hold this huge all PIs meeting, meaning for all of our projects that are currently active. So it's about 100 of them. Mm. And we're going to bring everybody together virtually. Um, we couldn't do that in person if we wanted to. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but our, the opportunity that we have is everybody is expecting to do things virtually. So now we can go big. Take, that's our opportunity to, to do this. I would say just look, yes, yeah, a challenge, recognize it, but find opportunities and try to have fun with them if you can, because you can't get out to the world as much now to find yeah. that entertainment. So, right. Try to build it in yourself if you can. I need to take a page out of your book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, my senior comprehensives at Occidental are due at midnight tonight. But now oh, it's wow. like, you know what? I'm just going to mess around. I'm going I'm to have some fun with this. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So I guess we can move on now. Um, right. Let's say that the pandemic is over and you get to go on a road trip with your family. You're going to Yosemite or something. And it's a celebration. Like, you're all very excited. What is the first song you're playing in the car to, to kick off this road trip? Oh, first song. I'd have to go with uh, one that, again, my youngest son. He loves the song and he asks me to play it all the time. It is Same Old G by Genuine. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Hey, good music taste. What? And yeah, just to put it out there, that's an 11 year old requested. <laughs> <laughs> Same 11 year old that made the comments about artistic license. Yes. So one, one in the same. And so <laughs> that, would, that would kick it off because no matter what we're doing, we're, we're released from pandemic life, whatever. Same us. <laughs> Nothing changes. We're still going to go out there. We're going to have fun. We're going to do stuff. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, Dr. Smith, we got to get him on this podcast, man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I want those yeah. perspectives. <laughs> oh, he's, he's something else. I'm, I'm real proud of the proud yeah. guy. Proud of both of my boys yeah. for different reasons. But uh, yeah. yeah, they make awesome. me laugh. They keep life fun. Cool. Have you ever done karaoke before? Once. Okay. One time. If you were to do karaoke again. All your loved ones are watching and they want you to have a good time. What song are you singing? Oh, that's a tough one. There's, there's a reason why I've only done it once. It's because singing is not anything that any, my singing is not something that people need to be subjected to. Oh, it's okay. It's everyone you love, though. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, and I want them to continue to love me. <laughs> <laughs> um, what would I sing? Over here at Occidental, we go with right. Rihanna. We go, we go Jay Z sometimes. Lincoln Park. We'll go Adele. Like, <laughs> all right. So I'd have to go back to my my high school days. I have to do um, Nas if I ruled the world. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, that's awesome. that's I I feel like your music taste is so broad. <laughs> that's what, <laughs> it, yeah. it is. It is. It is. But but that's what we would have blasting on our our radio, our our school radio at lunchtime. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> okay. Um, what is your proudest accomplishment or happiest memory? Proudest accomplishment, happiest memory. You can name multiple. You can name multiple. Multiple? All right. I'll say one of the... (laughs) No, that's not the happiest one. No, no. That's not the happiest one. No, let me see. (laughs) Not not, not that one. Um, (laughs) um, I think one of the... A, a fun movie. I don't know if it counts as the, the proudest or the happiest, but I had a good time with this. Um, I used to go to um, like the, the different band camps and there was one time I wanted to audition. So again, I told you I played the flute right. and wanted to, uh, to audition for the jazz band. And everybody was saying, it's like, well, flutes aren't in the jazz band. And, and of course, as, as you said, you know, I have a wide range of music. I can tell you, it's like, I can name you several of the <laughs> flautists that are jazz and you listen to music they're they're there if you listen yeah um but and i was in the jazz band at that point for two years in my my junior high and so i get to this camp and i audition and part of it is sight reading okay and so I've, i'm given this music it doesn't have the head like it's like torn off so i don't even have a title i don't know what i just have the first <laughs> first line and downward to go i have no idea what what you're like what is going on <laughs> yeah and so i play and about maybe the se- halfway through the second line i'm like this is a jazz version of over the rainbow ah. and then once that clicks in your head it flows and you yeah. and that thing you can hear somewhere over the rainbow yeah and I was like really proud of myself. And then it was, it's a, it was a week long camp. And so you end with a concert for all your family and friends that come. And part of jazz, which is my favorite part of jazz is improvisation. Right. And so there was a part where, you know, the band directors asked, you know, does anybody know how to, you know, get up there and, and do, do the improv and, and go. And I was like, oh yeah, I got that. <laughs> so I was one of two people um, in the jazz band that, you know, came for our sort of eight or 16 bars or whatever. And we, we would get up and we would just play. And it just is whatever you play. And right. you sit back down and then my uncle, after my, one of my uncles were there. And he's like, so you memorized that to get up there and play? I'm like, no, you just play it on the spot. <laughs> and to see that sort of like that awe. And his face was like, oh, okay. So that just, <laughs> you, that wasn't, that wasn't rehearsed. That was You're a like, prodigy? Oh. Okay, sure. <laughs> so it was, so it was one of my proudest moments, but it, it's, like to see it, in, see it in a family member's face like that. Yeah. So that was that was a lot of fun. Do you have any like recommendations for me? Jazz music. I'm a, I'm a big Coltrane fan. Miles Davis, uh, Thelonious Monk. Um, look up look up um, a guy called Marcus Miller. Okay. Um, he plays the bass. Okay. And he leads the melody. Very cool. So if you think about the bass, it's usually backing up and setting <laughs> setting the yeah, rhythm yeah. and everything. Yeah, he brings that forward. That's unique. 
Yeah. I so can't look, even, I'm trying to like imagine that in my head and I can't. It's 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 good. I that's that's my um my sort of creative music. Like if I need to get going, yeah. I'll throw on I throw on Marcus Miller and just like just sit back and let that go because it, it it's like flip it flips narrative. Right. Like bring something different to the front and you just listen, you groove to it, and then you're like, okay, now I'm ready to go. Let's see. <laughs> yeah. You're just giving me some cheat codes, man. <laughs> cheat codes for sure. Hey, um, whatever I got, it's yours, man. <laughs> <laughs> appreciate it. Appreciate it. All right. So let's say that your wife and kids are master chefs, right? Like I'm sure they're great now, but like if you were to tell them to cook something, they could do it perfectly. What meal are you cooking first, knowing that you have the perfect arsenal of just chefs to your disposal? That one is easy. Chicago style deep dish pizza. What would you have them do? Just <laughs> it is it it is an art in itself. Like if you had like real Chicago style deep dish pizza, yeah. No, I'm from LA. No... What's that? I'm from LA. <laughs> Never been in Chicago. Yeah, it does, no, you it's not in LA. It's not from Uno's Pizzeria. It's not... <laughs> 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 um, you need to go to Gino's East in Chicago, and but um. It's a recipe that we have, that I have. We've tweaked it. All of us have tweaked it. Um, we're about, I'd say, 90% there. Okay. I'll, I'll book my flight for that extra 10%. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. <laughs> All right. Last question. All right. Favorite dessert? White chocolate raspberry cheesecake. White chocolate raspberry oh. truffle cheesecake. It is my oh, favorite flavor so of cheesecake. It is every year for my birthday for the last 20 years. That has been my <laughs> No, I have a gift card at Cheesecake Factory. I might just <laughs> head White on over to raspberry that. truffle. It yeah, I'm in the, the mood. Best one. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, Dr. Smith, <laughs> thank you for answering <laughs> all my questions. That was a pleasure. That was really fun. Thank Man, you pleasure. so much for that. Yeah, that was really cool. Um. Music is number one supplier. Fly it in a piece of paper bearing my name. Got the hottest chick in the game wearing my chain. That's right, ho. Oh. Not DOC, but similar to them letters. No one could.